Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. My buddy Rich Eisen will jump in towards the end of this hour on the Goodyear hotline um, as we, on this Giving Tuesday, uh, will continue to uh, ask for your help with the V Foundation, which is ESPN's primary philanthropic endeavor. And I can tell you delightfully that in the conversation we had with Jim Kelly earlier today, I got a note here from a woman named Megan Judge who runs these uh, this 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 day of donation for us at ESPN Radio, and that our total jumped almost a hundred percent during that conversation. We almost doubled the amount of money that we have raised just during that conversation. And you can make a difference right now by giving at v.org slash donate. Again, 100%, 100 cents on every dollar you donate will go directly towards uh, combating cancer uh, in the area of uh, cancer research. So uh, we will talk more about that as we go. Jam-packed busy day. I've done a lot on the college football movement. Let me play you some of the Tiger stuff. So this morning on Get Up, we took Tiger Woods News Conference live. It was the first time that he has held a press conference since his car accident in February, one in which he has since acknowledged he genuinely feared over the course of the ensuing months that he might lose his leg, and one that has never really been fully explained in any detail, and that did not change today. The one thing I can tell you is he shut down any questions about what happened that day. He said all the information is in the police report. And as you may very well know, the police report has, for a variety of reasons that confuse many people, never been released. So as of this moment, we do not know what happened on that day, or certainly not with great detail. That said, from a sports perspective, the part of this that is most interesting is whether or not he will ever play tournament golf again. And what I can tell you is we, again, I I took 30 minutes of this thing live this morning, He was talking about his greatness in the past tense. He sounds like a person who was resigned to the fact that he will never be what he once was. That probably was already the case. But not only that, but one who will never play full-time on the PGA Tour again. He keeps bringing up the example of Ben Hogan. For those of you who don't know, Ben Hogan was, in the 50s, not only the best golfer in the world, but one of the biggest stars in American sports. And he was in a terrible car accident. He was driving a car that got hit by a bus. And they thought he'd never walk again. He walked out of the hospital 59 days later, and he won six majors after that. Now, he was 36 years old at the time of that accident. Tiger is 45. He'll be 46 next month. Tiger is also, he, his body has been through much more than just this one trauma. He's had five surgeries on his knee, five surgeries on his back. And that's before you get involved in the really terrible injuries that he sustained in this accident. So as you hear him talking about the possibility of coming back and trying to play golf at the very highest level, he does not sound like a person who's confident it's going to happen. As far as playing at the tour level, I I don't know when that's going to happen. Now, I'll play around here and there, a little hit and giggle. I can can do something like that. But uh, at least I'm able to do it again. That's something that... For a while there, it didn't look like I was going to. But I'm able to participate in the sport of golf. Now, to what level, I do not know that. Again, he was extremely uncertain about all of this. And I will just say as one who, it's no secret if you listen to this program, I love golf more than I love anything. It is my favorite sport. And Tiger Woods is the greatest player I ever saw. The part of this that I think is really sad is that 
as he talks about being resigned to never being able to really compete at the highest level again, you know, you do think to yourself, during Tiger's apex, he was the best player that ever lived. It's not even particularly close. And he is not ever going to fulfill that. Like the fact that he came back and he gave us that glimpse by winning the Masters two years ago, which remains one of the most astonishing sporting events I've ever witnessed, and I was lucky and privileged to actually be there to see it. But the fact that he gave us that that one last glimpse sort of got you to thinking maybe he will fulfill his destiny. And now this happens, and he clearly will not. Because the record you're chasing is 18 majors. He himself would not tell you who's the greatest player that ever lived without getting to 18. And he isn't going to. And he's going to have to live his life with that. He's going to have to live, and we all of us who love the sport will have to live. And look, he's hardly the first. How many great athletic careers have been cut short one way or another by accident, by injury, by illness, by any number of things? Of course, it's happened many times before. It'll happen many times again. But I do struggle to think of someone who would have definitively been the greatest player ever were it not for what happened here. Like, I've got people that'll tell me Len Bias would have been one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. Maybe he would have been. I'm old enough to have watched Len Bias at Maryland. Len Bias never got to play a minute in the NBA. Tiger Woods got to show us. Tiger Woods won 14 majors in the blink of an eye. He was so young when he was on 14. I remember when he limped off the course at Torrey Pines after winning that U.S. Open, beating Rocco Mediate in a playoff to win his 14th major. If you had told me at that point he would never win another, or as it has now turned out that he only win one more, anyone would have laughed at you. He was going to, he was going to set the new record for majors by such a margin that, that people would ask years from now, oh, who's second anyway? I don't even know who's second. He would have been so far ahead. He would have won 20-something majors for sure. And he knows that. And now he will not. And I, I just think, I don't know anything. And look, he, he has a, a wonderful life. He has all the money in the world, plus $10. He's got beautiful young kids that he, he, he clearly loves to spend his time with now. And I think he has a, something of a different perspective on life than he did through all of the trials and tribulations that he has gone through, so many of them of his own making, but it is what it is, that maybe he does live with it just fine. But I can tell you, I feel like if I were in his shoes, it would really bother me that I would have been the greatest player of all time were it not for all the different things that derailed it. So that, to me, is the shame of it all, because he would have been, for sure. And, and, and he will always be the best. In the same way, tell me, Nuno, is this a good analogy? Aaron Rodgers, right now, in this moment, is better than Tom Brady. He's just better. But he's not ever going to be the greatest And that's how I would describe Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, during the period of time when he was at his best, was better than Jack Nicklaus ever was. He was. Relative to the competition that he played against, and he probably, the sport had expanded, he was better. But he'll never be the greatest. Does that seem like a reasonable analogy, the Aaron Rodgers-Tom Brady one, in this context? It does, but do you think he would be closer if there wasn't such a bigger gap uh, when it comes to the Super Bowls. So Brady has seven, Rodgers has one. So let's say it ends up being 5-2. 
do you end up being able to have the, hey, yeah, Brady, you know, Rodgers is actually better than Brady? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't know what it would have to be in order for that to happen, but what it isn't is seven to one, right? I mean, that's not even, I think Brady put an end to all of this with what he did last year. Because any thought that, well, he was in a great system, it was all Bill Belichick, any thought of that, for him to start all over again in Tampa and win the championship in his first year, and God knows he's probably going to win it again here, I think put an end to any of that discussion. But what I'm trying to say is, right now, let's, let's take even Brady out of the equation. I think Joe Montana is a greater quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. When I put my list together of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played, I put Montana ahead of Rodgers. I'm old enough to have watched every snap Joe Montana ever took. Joe Montana couldn't, did not light a candle to Aaron Rodgers in terms of talent. Not even close. Joe Montana was smallish and did not have the greatest arm you've ever seen. He was unbelievably smart, he was unbelievably tough, and he was unbelievably clutch. And that's why he won four Super Bowls and is one of the greatest players and greatest legends of all time. They didn't call him Joe Cool for nothing. But if you just put the two of them through a combine, you would laugh at Joe Montana if you were looking at Aaron Rodgers. You watch the way he flicks his wrist and throws these passes. So greatness comes from accomplishment, not from being the best. Being great is not enough to make you great. You have to accomplish great things to be remembered for that. And so again, to bring it all the way back to where I began, Tiger Woods accomplished unbelievable things. 15 major championships, all the tournaments that he's won, the growth that he spurred in the game, which I think alongside Arnold Palmer is the most of any player that ever lived, and any number of things. And he's had his foundation now for 25 years. God bless him. He's making a difference in the lives of millions of kids. All of that is great. But he's going to wind up being the second greatest player that ever lived. And for the, under these circumstances, I feel like if that were me, it would eat at me. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You ask these questions. Greeny's question of the day. So much stuff we haven't had a chance to get to today. Let me dive into this. The question of the day is this. Which team will Russell Wilson be the quarterback of week one of next season? I believe last night we saw his last game as a Seattle Seahawk. Not to say he won't play the rest of the games this season, but they won't matter. Unfortunately, they've played their way out of it. There are very few teams that are out of it at this point in the playoff race in either conference. They're one of them. And the Russell Wilson era in Seattle, which would have come to an end last offseason if they had another solution, will come to an end this offseason. So let's put our crystal balls to use. Bubba, I will start with you. And many may not know this. 
But Bubba, back at a, at a t- long before he began this extraordinarily successful career in radio production, Bubba actually made a living at carnivals reading people's fortunes. He has the ability to see the future, which is really fascinating. It's sort of a Nostradamus-like kind of quality that Bubba has. And, and so, Bubba, I will start with you. For which team will Russell Wilson be the quarterback week one of the 2022 NFL season? Well... He kind of told us already, so I'm just can he told us I'm reading the future based on what he told us. He said there are four teams he would play for. Mm-hmm. Cowboys. Right. Don't need him. We got Dak. That's out. Saints. I don't think that's gonna happen. They're doing some things with Taysom, and I don't know if they have the draft capital to make that happen and make some moves. Bears, Fields, they're all set with him. Right. Last one, the Raiders. I think it's going to be the Raiders. They're going to have a new coach, a whole new everything, probably a new GM. They're going to reset everything, get Carr out of there. They want to have a whole new image, obviously fix everything that's going on after Gruden and Ruggs and all that stuff. So they're going to want to bring in Wilson, new coach, new GM, start over in Vegas, take over the AFC. That's an interesting one. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in New Orleans. The reason Bubba brings up those four teams, for those of you who don't know, Russell Wilson's agent himself, on the record, gave Adam Schefter those four teams as places that he would have been willing to go to last offseason. Again, take the Bears and the Cowboys out of the conversation immediately. New Orleans and the Raiders. Now, Derek Carr is having a very good season. Derek Carr is a very good quarterback. He is a well-above-average NFL quarterback, and yet you and many others seem more than willing to move on from him in Vegas. The question is, will they be willing to? You know, if Derek Carr was became expendable, people would be killing themselves to get him. No, Bubs? I, I do think he's good, yeah. I mean, he, he just, they just beat the Cowboys, yeah. Um, I think he's a solid quarterback for sure, but I think Russell Wilson's better. So, uh, Russell Wilson is better. No. So if you can upgrade to Russell, you upgrade. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they're you know upset that they have Derek Carr. And yeah, he's proven this year. He he had a, he had a good year this year for sure. Look, you could put Derek Carr in New Orleans, and he would be a major upgrade from what they have. I don't know where Jameis is going to be. You right. could put Derek Carr or any of these guys. Well, I'll, I'll make my pick in a minute. Let me hear from Nuno. Nuno, question of the day: For which team will Russell Wilson be the starting quarterback next year? There are a lot of teams that make sense. But I think based upon draft capital and so forth, them not being able to do it, that one team, and it's going to sound very homerish, that has the draft capital that is going to need a quarterback at the end of the day would be the Giants. You, but you, is that the guy you want? So you're a Giant fan. They will have two first-round picks. One of them is Chicago's. At this point, the Bears, you know, that figures to possibly be a top-ten pick. Both of them. Well, both teams have the same record, right? They both have four wins. So those could both be top 10 picks. Are you giving up both of those for Russell Wilson? I think because of the fact that the NFL is a win-now league, you actually would do it. Because, unfortunately, Daniel Jones hasn't shown enough for you to say, hey, we're going to take that draft capital. We're going to make great, great moves, uh, you know, shore up the defensive line, whatever it is. And then... Um, Daniel Jones can lead us to that next step. It doesn't seem like there's a next step right now. Right now, they would have the sixth and seventh pick, right? And so it doesn't seem like it would make it. It would make any sense. It just seems like you need to go all in and 
and make this move. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. That does feel like one of the places we all know the Eagles have all of those picks. They'll have three first-round picks, um, though not quite as high as we're talking about here. I think that'll be fascinating to see how the whole thing plays out. I, I continue to think New Orleans, depending on what they can trade for him, that would be a good marriage for him there with um, Sean Payton. And, and you look at Pittsburgh, and then you look at Cleveland as places where there could be quarterback questions. And that's the next stop I want to get to here, as I remind you to tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? Well, I told you things have gone from bad to unimaginably worse in one NFL city. Please tell me another teammate's father has not attacked Baker Mayfield on social media. But that is what's happened. After all the stuff that happened with Odell's dad, now Kareem Hunt's father, his name is Kareem Hunt Sr., is taking shots at Baker Mayfield. So he went. To, he took to social media to post clips of Mayfield's father to, to crutch his point. That, that, that's, that's Beckham Sr. Kareem Hunt went on Facebook and said, I'm getting people on my Facebook saying I'm being like OBJ's daddy, and I'm not. I'm stating facts on football, and what we see, he's limping, meaning Baker. He's scared to throw the ball, and they know he's hurt. They're going to keep listening, but if people don't like what I'm saying, unfriend me. I'm not jeopardizing nothing. I've got a right to speak. I'm not posting no videos. Have a good day. Go Browns, hopefully. That's the father of Kareem Hunt. Nuno, does Baker Mayfield have to get out of there? I mean, it has become increasingly clear. He's playing through injury. I'm not giving up on Baker Mayfield based upon his play because he is just banged up to shreds. But at this point, with the fathers coming out and all of the questioning in the locker room and everything else, do you wonder if if he needs to get out of Cleveland and they need to get him out of there? I do think the organization has put Baker in a spot to uh, to fail. He is hurt. You can't tell me that Case Keenum can't give you what he's been what Baker is giving you. Yep. So you allowed him to continue to play through this. You then, as an organization, will also have to clear that locker room of a lot of guys. And what happens, right? It, everyone's going to start talking about, you know, guys in the league talk. And it's going to be that has Baker shown enough for you to bend over backwards within an organization um, to make him happy? He hasn't. And you, you know, you're the one, I think you're part of the reason that these, that everything is stoked, that these guys are stoking the fire on social media and saying, hey, you know, there's a real issue here. It's Baker. It's the injuries. It's the organization allowing him to keep playing. I can't imagine a year that has gone worse for anyone than it's gone for him. This was a guy who was going to get $150 million last offseason. It didn't go that way. He bets on himself. He comes back. He's hurt immediately. The team is a major disappointment. All of these questions in the locker room. This has been a mess for Baker Mayfield. Greeny, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is Greeny coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17. We're brought to you by Chase. Rich Eisen going to join us here in a minute on this Giving Tuesday with V-Week underway and all of our conversation and our focus and our efforts geared toward the V-Foundation for Cancer Research. We'll talk about that and more in 30 seconds. After this word from our podcast, Man in the Arena, you can join host Gotham Chopra as he explores what Tom Brady has meant to football and the world in Man in the Arena, a new podcast from ESPN Plus and Religion of Sports. It's a companion piece to the ESPN Plus docuseries, 10-part pod, examining the ripple effects of Brady's career, things that have forced us to rethink everything we thought we knew about time and perfection and fate. The podcast is brought to you by State Farm, ZipRecruiter, and Rocket Mortgage. Listen and follow Man in the Arena now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and stream the docuseries on ESPN+. Plus. Such a fascinating time in the sports world right now. Football has returned the calendar to December, which we do tomorrow. It always is when things get most interesting, and you can't ask for more. Tonight we will get the college football playoff rankings, the penultimate edition, and it'll be fascinating to see where they put everybody. I continue to say I believe that this committee will try and find a way to keep Cincinnati out of there, but I could be wrong, and we'll see what happens. But we'll see where they put everybody, in particular Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, and the coaches moving where they have moved to, Lincoln Riley moving to Los Angeles. And I guess it does bring up the question, if you had the option of moving to Los Angeles, why wouldn't you do that? Let's bring in someone who knows all about that, the one, the only Rich Eisen, who, of course, was a colleague of ours here at ESPN forever and has now been at NFL Network for an equally long time and has done extraordinary um, charitable work as well with his foundation and the run, the 40-yard dash that he does every year, joins us on this Giving Tuesday here, and we are delighted to have Rich back. How are you, Rich Eisen? What's up, Greeny? How you been, man? I- I'm, I'm great, and um, I know we have a million things to get to. We're not that long to do it, and obviously you host okay. your show uh, on Westwood One, the Rich Eisen Show, and have all kinds of fun and fabulous guests on there. I enjoy it when you have the, you know, the, the actors and the comedians and stuff like Thanks. that. Um, you know, because it's a nice departure and all of that. But, you know, sports is, is where it all started with you. And to me, it all started with, for you, with Stuart Scott. And, you know, yeah, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. we were all there together, Green, yeah. right? Little babies. That's what we were. We were kids before having children and families <laughs> and stuff like that. And we grew up together. There's just no other way to put it. And, um, and I'll talk about Stewart anytime, anywhere. Yeah, like, well, this it seems like the right place and the right time to do it as as we are kicking off V Week here. And you know, it's hard for me to believe now, but it's been long enough that like there are there are young people listening to this conversation who don't remember when uh, he was the arguably the most important voice in sports TV. Tell us about all those nights you spent sitting next to Stewart. Well, it was special. Uh, it was special, Mike, and the you know folks should know that he. Um, at the time, um, he, he wasn't known as the most important voice as you, you called him. 
and um, he didn't feel it sometimes either. Uh, but he kept on doing his thing, and or as he would say, doing it, doing it, and doing it well, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and now uh, his style of broadcasting is ubiquitous; it's everywhere, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And anytime anybody brings up his name, um, it fills me with joy because um, his legacy should live on forever. And it will in places like North Carolina, and it will in places like Bristol, Connecticut, and um, and those places aren't going anywhere. So that's just a beautiful thing. It lives on in his children. It lives on in his um, days like this, weeks like this, and um, it was um, it was awesome. We just had a blast. We would sit there till like three in the morning, waiting to finish up the Sports Center that uh, that re-aired six times the next day. We got our biggest exposure of our careers while we were sleeping, <laughs> you know, and, and, and both coasts. And, and, um, and this was essentially before Twitter existed. So, um, and, you know, uh, phones existed to have, have highlights in the palm of your hand. So it's a different time for us in terms of broadcasting in the streaming world and the social media world. And, and uh, it was amazing to sit next to him for as long as I, I got to. Yeah, people, people would wake up in the morning and put on SportsCenter to find out what happened the night before. I know to multiple yeah. generations that sounds ludicrous, but that, <laughs> that, is, that is how we lived our lives back then, and it, it seemed to work out just fine. Let me ask you quickly because I know you have to run. Um, my experience with him was always that he had an almost limitless energy about him like he we'd be sitting yes. in that in that old cramp newsroom we'd be sitting in it he would just start shouting stuff lyrics or whatever it was and, yes. you know and it's the middle of the night and you know we're all tired and all that kind of stuff he just had like a limitless fountain of energy well the, the most successful people uh on television um are are the people who are who they are on tv just as they are when they're off tv uh, i remember when i first got to espn and 1996, um, I was uh, observing. This is before ESPN News. I think, Mike, you were the first to be hired and then mm-hmm. put put on ESPN News before going on SportsCenter, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And I arrived before you by just a few months so uh, of ESPN News being created. And so I, 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 I observed before they, they deemed me ready to go on, on to SportsCenter. And I remember one of the first... Um, one of the first meetings I, I ever attended for Sports Center Ideas meeting as an observer was the small period of time that Chris Berman was returning to to his Sports Center roots and hosting the show. Mm-hmm. And you know, me just like the rest of every other sports fan, huge fan of Berman's. And the guy who walked in the meeting room and sat down and talked to everybody and went through the paces about the meeting and uh, the show that was coming up, the exact same guy I saw on television. And I, it never, it never, uh, I've never forgotten that. It, it made such an impact on me to just keep reminding myself that, you know, you are your own fingerprint and that's who you should be on the air. And other people who are like that, you know, Dan, you know, obviously you as well, and genuine, genuine people, Linda, so another person is Stuart. Uh, and literally what you just described, anybody that saw him on TV thought, well, he's just doing a shtick, putting on an act. He's doing something to try and, and get an audience or get you know, uh, noticed. It couldn't be further from the truth. He was literally being himself. 
And I think that's why one of the many reasons why he was so successful and certainly being remembered as such. And at the time, though, a lot of people were like, you got to dial it back. You're not talking to the whole audience. And and he would constantly talk about the audience that he was serving that had not been previously served at SportsCenter and how that was important. And he had nailed that one in real time. There's no question about that. And that kind of leads to one of my favorite stories that he would make pop culture references that went past me and I would make them some that went past him mm-hmm. where again this is like the late 90s and so we go to commercial break and I set a Seinfeld line that it just I think aired the week before or the day before on on NBC on must see TV Thursday night mm-hmm. and he turns to me and goes what was that and I'm like that's a Seinfeld line and he goes brothers don't watch Seinfeld yeah. it's literally what he said to me yeah. and and you could hear it in his voice that he's being honest and he's being true. And it was part of it was also him pointing out that he gets so much grief for what pop culture references he was saying. But maybe it's not your, you know, world only. And, and, and I think that's why he was so successful. And it's important to keep talking about him today. Absolutely. Mike. Can I tell you very quickly that your Please. your fellow Michigan alum, Jalen Rose, once on TV oh, said to baby. me, and I quote, Yes. Seinfeld is the Jewish Martin. That, that, that was, that's, a, that's an actual quote from Jalen Rose. Seinfeld is the Jewish Martin. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is fantastic. And Jalen must be like me, uh, walking around these days where the lights are brighter, the food tastes better, mm-hmm. the air is cleaner. Um, it's just a great day for all of us in the Michigan Wolverine world. And the Jets won this weekend, Greeny. The Jets won this weekend. And remarkably, because they have the Seahawks draft choice, the Jets are in a position where, you know, they could just keep doing the winning. They don't have to worry about a higher draft position. Uh, It seems, unfortunately, the Seahawks are doing that for them. Yeah, the Seahawks are doing all the losing that the Jets would otherwise need to be doing. I know you have to go. Thank you, as always. Let's do this again sometime soon when we have all the time in the world. Always a pleasure. I would love that. I miss talking to you, man. You be well. Have a great rest of your show. And thanks for talking about Stu, and thanks to... You know, everybody there at, at ESPN for, for keeping his memory alive and making that important. It, it really is to so many people, and um, I think it's beautiful. You got it. Thank you, Rich. Take Rich care. Eisen, NFL Network, has his own show, which is excellent. And um, he's, just a, he's just a super smart guy. You don't need me to tell you who Rich is. And, um, you know, he worked with Stewart all those years. It is hard for me to believe. Like, my kids hardly know who Stuart Scott is, which is ultimately ironic since my, my favorite picture of Stuart has my daughter in it. I've talked about this picture before, um, and I'm not going to put it up at the top of the page because it just sort of feels weird and like pandering constantly. But it's, it's sort of – if you scroll down on my Instagram, you'll see this picture that we took of Stuart and my daughter Nikki when Nikki was one and she came with us to the Super Bowl. Nikki, Nikki was a little tiny baby. And Stace brought her down to the Super Bowl for a few days, and Stuart was holding her because he missed his daughters, who were just a little older. Taylor and Sydney are a couple of years older than mine, and they were in school and thus not at the Super Bowl. And he's holding my daughter when she's just a baby, and, and thankfully someone took a picture of it. And when he died, we went out and got that picture framed, and, and it is on the wall of my house, and it will be for the rest of my life. Uh, he was a great guy and a, a, a terrific man and light years ahead of his time. I mean, just and, and, and what Rich is talking about, by the way, I think it's an important lesson for all people, um, which is that when you um, when you endeavor to something, you should be true to yourself in doing it. 
because I can tell you that what Rich is essentially saying is that the feedback he was getting in the early 90s, mid 90s was your presentation is not friendly enough to the majority of the audience that you are perceived exclusively as the quote unquote hip hop sportscaster and and essentially that 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 the, the presentation he was giving was going to alienate viewers and i can tell you that if he had just done what he was being instructed to do he wouldn't be remembered today he would have been just another person on sports center of which there have now been hundreds and everyone has been great you don't get to sports center without being great but only very very few are remembered the way stewart is remembered because he had the guts to do it his way to say, no, this is important. What I'm doing is the right way to do this. And it made him a legend. And he was great at it. And he was a genuinely great guy. And he did have, even when he was sick, I mean, I remember, because he, he fought cancer for a long time. And um, I remember him, while he was in that battle, still having what felt to me like extraordinary energy. So anyway, this is a very important day for all of us. Um, I've talked at great length about my direct connections to cancer, not that any of us don't have them. Um, I've written two books of that, that, that we give all of the money. So Stacy and I have a children's book called MVP, which we donate 100% of the author's proceeds to um, a grant at the V Foundation for Pediatric Cancer. We did that through our friend Dick Vital. And many years ago, in honor of a very dear friend of ours named Heidi Armitage, who died much too young, at the age of 44 of breast cancer in 2000, September 30th of 2009, I wrote a book called All You Could Ask For, which still, all these years later, pops up during Breast Cancer Awareness Month on bestseller lists, which warms my heart. We donate 100% of the author's proceeds from that book to the V Foundation, and it's well over $200,000 now, and I, I couldn't be more thrilled about that or proud of it, and I hope that it will continue. I will continue giving every penny of that money to the V Foundation until we cure the disease. Um, and, and so this is that day for us here at ESPN, where when you, I think I've said this, this way before, when you make up your mind that you're going to be a sports announcer for a living, you know, that generally speaking, you're not changing the world. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not doing research. I'm not fighting fires. I'm not doing heroic things. I'm sitting up here and having fun. You, you, you accept that that your lot in life is to be someone who enjoys what they do for a living but isn't really doing something that important. But on this day every single year, we can feel like we are doing something important. Because if you give money to the V Foundation, that money, if it's a dollar, if it's $100, if it's $1,000, or whatever it is you can afford to give, every penny of it is going to go towards a grant somewhere, towards some brilliant scientist whose name you will probably never know who is working right now in a research lab at a hospital somewhere in this country or a university somewhere in this country. And you never know which dollar it's going to be that is going to save the life of someone you care about. You never know, but it's going to, you know, I said this about Dick Vitale when he came back last week and I said it about him um, at his gala in, in Sarasota some years ago that 50 years from now, people won't remember Dick Vitale for saying, it's awesome baby or for calling young basketball players diaper dandies or any of that stuff that will long be forgotten. But what will happen 50 years from now is there'll be people who are alive because of the work Dick Vitale has done for the V foundation. 
And there will be people who will be alive 50 years from now, five years from now, maybe five months from now, because of money that we raise today. So it's more important than the stuff that we do most of the time. Most of the time, we have fun. I hope that you jump in here with me as often as you can, because I find this fun. I love the little group that we've put together with Hembo and Nuno and Bubba and everybody else. It's a fun way to spend some time, and I hope that it helps you pass your time and take your mind off of all of the scary and very serious things that seem to be going on in the world around us that sometimes almost feels like it's becoming untethered, like the world feels like it's becoming untethered, like it just might spin off into some sort of chaos. But the truth is that it is not. The world, for all of its complications, is still very much the same place that it has been, and cancer remains every bit the priority that it has always been. And cancer research is my philanthropic priority, and again, I'm not telling you what yours should be. There are any number of things that you may choose to support. But what I can promise you is that if what you decide is you want to give some money to the V Foundation, I can promise you that that money will be spent exactly as you wish it to be. Spent isn't even the right word. That, that money will be utilized in the way that you want it to be. 100 cents on the dollar will go towards fighting cancer. So that is our spiel for today on that. And again, it's the most important thing we do. So you can give now, if you can, at v.org slash donate. All donates benefit, uh, all donations, excuse me, benefit the V Foundation for Cancer Research. And as always, we thank you endlessly for taking part in it with us and helping us in this fight that Jim Valvano started and that we carry on in his name, a fight to which we have lost so many people, but far fewer than we would have otherwise. And it will continue to be fewer and fewer until someday, as I've said, I genuinely believe that it will be none. And we will live to see that day. So, again, with that, I thank you. It's, a, it's an extraordinary time in sports. The, the rankings will come out tonight. That should be fascinating. Obviously, we're heading into maybe a baseball labor shutdown. So we'll be back with all of the usual stuff tomorrow. And I hope that you will spend that time with us again tomorrow. And, again, I thank you on behalf of everyone here at ESPN for any way you can helping us in our battle today. See you tomorrow on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.